What's up, everybody? My name is Prody Tawari, and I am the CEO and co-founder of the Campus Elite and the voice behind College Success Radio. Today, I'm super proud to introduce Beach Bums on Wall Street, which is the latest and greatest podcast as part of the Campus Elite Radio Network. Beach Bums on Wall Street is created for the college student, beginner to advanced, looking to seriously increase their expertise in the world of investing. On this particular episode, e-money and d-money breakdown value investing, take a look at how a balance sheet is really organized, and discuss why Cliff's Natural Resources is a can't-lose stock. Top feels so much better about him, baby. So So much much better. better. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the first official episode of Beach Bums on Wall Street. Uh, my name is E-Money Pazinski. I'm with my brother from another money, mother, D-Money Pazinski, at D-Money Common. <laughs> That's uh, all right. We're pretty much brothers anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, this is our first episode. We're going to see what kind of fun we can have with this. Uh, it's called... Uh, beach bums on Wall Street. Reason being is uh, Dan and I, we started a slush business, our first business together back in college, uh, just which was called Beach Bum Slush. And um, yeah, over the years, we've, we both um, and developed an interest for, for finance in the stock markets. Uh, I was big in, the, in my finance club in, in college. Um, but Dan, Dan has taken his love uh, for finance to a whole new level. He just took the CFA. Um, he's uh, going to be working at State Street in Boston. Um, and, um, yeah, and on, on the side, he just he just loves everything to do with stocks. He writes uh, articles for uh, Seeking Alpha. And there's literally just, I have not, I have a huge bias, but there's no better financial mind in the business right now. So we're going to have some fun talking about stocks. Um, and I hope you hope you enjoyed the show. So, without further ado, let's take uh, ten seconds and pause for station identification as we worship our value value investing god, Warren Buffett. We are not worthy. We are not worthy. All right. So, on that note, um, again, uh, we're we're taking stocks uh, strictly from a value investing standpoint. Um, so, Dan, you want to take a second and, and just give the audience a brief on what, what is value investing? Yeah, so, so value investing, um, first off, I, I came to know value investing from reading uh, Benjamin Graham's book, The Intelligent Investor, which um, is the best book on investing, best book on investing ever written. And it's basically the Bible to value investing. It is uh, the goal of, of value investing is to um, identify undervalued companies. Um, what you want to do when evaluating companies is look at their stock as an ownership stake in the business. And you want to evaluate each business uh, based on that principle. So you want to find a company that. Um, its market price is trading less than the intrinsic value of the company that you um, that you come upon by you know looking at their financial statements, their balance sheets. Um, you come up and you basically discover what you think the company is worth, and if there's a discrepancy there in the market, um, 
that's where you, you can make some money. Um, the goal is to purchase a company that is trading below its intrinsic value in the marketplace. So, so can you give us an example of how exactly you value a, a company's intrinsic assets or yeah yeah there's uh i mean it's it's a very complex process there's a lot that goes into it um, but one of the main things that i look at is book value so you want to uh, when analyzing a company um, a book value of a company is its assets minus its liabilities okay so an asset is anything that the company owns um, and it is, is expected to create cash flow in the future and a liability is something that the company owes so um, you know, a, an expected outflow in the future. So um, to, to really simplify it, it's just uh, the value of its assets minus its liabilities. And that um, difference there is its equity. And then you want to take that, you look at that equity on a per share basis, and then you compare that to the market price of the company, and you can get a gauge of, um, you know, the valuation of the company currently in the marketplace. Sweet. Awesome. So again, let's dive one level deeper. So what, what would be examples of assets of companies? Um, the, there's different types. So there's, there's current assets, which are um, accounts receivable, cash on the balance sheet, um, inventory, uh, if it's a manufacturing company, and any product that it's produced that it has stored in its warehouses, uh, that's valued on a dollar basis as well. Uh, so for instance, so Apple's iPhone inventory would be an asset. Exactly. Yes, that's an asset because awesome. they're expected to sell that in the near future. Awesome. Uh, get a cash inflow from that. And there are also longer term assets like fixed uh, fixed equipment, like um, for example, uh, any land that the company owns or any any factories that the company owns. That's a that's a longer term asset, and that's separated from the current asset on the balance sheet. Awesome. Awesome. So let's let's flip that around. So can you give us specific examples of what li what liabilities we might find in evaluating a company? Yeah, yeah. So the uh, the liabilities are also separated into current and long-term liabilities. Uh, the current liabilities are its accounts payable, um, any short-term debt that it has due during the current period, um, any bills that it has to pay within uh, a, a one-year time period is, is considered a current liability. Um, a longer-term liability is its... The biggest one is really its long-term debt. Um, that's debt that a company issues um, via bonds or notes of some sort. And um, that's what a company uses to finance itself in the marketplace. So the longer-term debt is more of, um, yeah, yeah, bonds payable, things like that. All right. So we have our assets and we have our liabilities. And so you minus the liabilities, subtract the liabilities from the assets, you get the equity. Yes. And then you divide that equity amount by the number of shares, and mm -hmm. you get the book value the per, book share. Value per yeah. share of the company. Yeah. So then I like to, um, to use that as a rough estimate of what the company is worth intrinsically. Awesome. And then so you compare that to its market, mar market price, and sometimes there are extreme differences there. Yeah. And, and that's, that's that's where the big opportunities present themselves. And that's how you know pretty much how to buy and sell a company. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of the ways. One of the ways. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, one of the main ways. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I love that because it's just it it's a concrete logical way to value a company. You have some of these tech companies out there that don't have any revenue 
e.g. Twitter, and, you know, mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. like, how the hell do you really under- have a concrete uh, number of what the value of that company is, you know? Yeah. So, this, this, this is why I love talking to you about this, is because it's just, <laughs> there's, there is a little bit of a science to it, um, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, sweet, Dan. Yeah. So, on that note, um, every show, we'll, we, what we're going to do is we're going to... Um, I'm going to interview Dan on his newest stock pick and all his stock picks are based, are rooted in the, um, evaluation of value investing. So, um, since this is the first show, it just makes 110% sense, um, that we, uh, that we talk about Dan's favorite stock right now, um, which he's been following for years. Uh, he knows this company uh, inside out, he should be the CEO of this company. Um, he is, he's written a couple uh, articles on this company for Seeking Alpha, and he's gotten some uh, comments that this is the best evaluation that people have ever seen um, on a on an iron co- iron industry company. So, without further ado, the company up to this week that is Dan's top portfolio pick. Just a disclaimer there. Um, is Cliff's Natural Resources, uh, and ticker CLF. So, Dan, tell us, what is Cliff, Cliff's Natural Re- Resources? Oh, Cliff's. <laughs> uh, I've, I love this company. I've been looking into this company for about three years now, and what it is is they are North America's largest producer of iron ore. And um, what iron ore is used for is it's the main ingredient in steel. Um, So steel manufacturers cannot produce steel without iron ore. Um, So who they produce, so what they do is they mine iron ore in Minnesota, Michigan, and Australia. And they sell that to steel makers. And this company has been undergoing dramatic changes the last few years. And I think the future of the company is immensely bright. Um, and yeah, the, the state of the, uh, the commodities, um, realm and the iron ore and steel industry in general has been, let's back up a second. So exactly how do they make money? So they mine, um, iron ore, they have five mines in Michigan, Minnesota and Australia. And then they, um, convert that iron ore, the raw ore into pellets, which they then sell to steel makers. And they customize each of their pellets to their specific customers. For example, ArcelorMittal, um, AK Steel, uh, they provide a customized pellet that fits into uh, these customers' blast furnaces. And these customers rely on cliffs as their main producer of iron ore uh, to make their steel. So pretty much they supply the raw material for steel production. Exactly. So they're, they're the first step in the... Yeah. In the, they're the first step in the. Uh, some look, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, life cycle of li- steel. Yeah, life cycle of of the production of cars, yeah. of the production of bridges, mm-hmm. of of anything that has steel in it. Yeah, yeah. Look around you. You see, you see steel everywhere in everyday life, awesome. and uh, it all starts in Michigan and Minnesota, where this ore is mined. <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> Right where mom keeps the peanut butter, eh? <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so, sweet. So you touched, uh, before I jumped in with my last question, you 
you touched on um, the commodity crisis that was happening. Yeah. Let, let's dive a little deeper into that. So what's, what's been going on um, with uh, Cliff and, and the commodity crisis this last couple of years? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, the, the, the price of iron ore, is a, it's, it's historically been a cyclical commodity. Um, but the last few cycles have been more pronounced than anything that we've ever seen before. Um, so the price of iron ore peaked in 2011 um, at about close to $200 a ton. And this was due to China's extreme growth. China had been growing very quickly. Um, and the price of iron ore had risen accordingly to supply the steel to basically accommodate um, their, their extreme growth in uh, in their economy uh, and their building and everything like that. Um, but lately, since 2011, iron ore has collapsed. Um, along with every, all the other... Along com- with every other commodity, along with oil, along with steel, along with coal. And it actually bottomed um, in December at about 40 bucks a ton. So sorry, it was trading at what before? Close to $200 a ton. And now it went down to 40 Yeah. It went down to 40. So that's about an 80% loss. <laughs> wow. In a commodity that we use in everyday life. So No bueno, man. No bueno. So as you can imagine, uh, the market has not been kind to anything in the commodity uh, industry, especially cliffs. Okay, yes. And so, and so your reason behind uh, part of the commodity crisis, you said, was has a lot to do with China, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. Um, you want to dive deeper into that? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so China had been growing at a, a breakneck pace of close to ten percent a year um, for most of the past decade, uh, and that that growth started to slow down a bit um, in two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve, and more recently. Um, they're still growing; they're just not growing at quite the same pace, mm-hmm. and. Another thing that goes along with it is China has increased their steelmaking capacity by almost a factor of 10 in the last 20-so years. Um, they produce half of the world's steel now. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. They went from you know, less than 10% of, of the world's steel production to 50% now. Um, and, and that steel is not, it, it is not economically viable, most of it. Um, but and it's, it's like cheap. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's very cheap. Um, it's shitty quality. Yeah, China, pardon my French. Yeah, <laughs> Chinese steelmakers they they really don't um, have the same regulations that American producers have in terms of environmental standards, uh, pollution standards, things like that. I'm sure you've seen uh, news clips about the air quality in China. It's not great, and part of that reason is because um, they're heavy producers uh, just don't have the same standards that American producers have. And since China's growth has slowed down a bit the last few years, um, China's steel production has not fallen accordingly along with that. Um, So they're still producing the same amount of steel, um, but they just don't have the demand domestically to absorb all that steel. So they've been exporting all of that steel to other um, economies around the world, including the U.S. Um, So that's been part of the reason behind the collapse in steel prices and iron prices. Interesting, interesting. And just to throw this in there, which we probably should have done in the the beginning once we introduced Cliff, is uh, with the commodity crisis, Cliff's share price has has 
literally gone off a cliff. Yeah. I guess yeah. you'd say. Yeah. Um, so it was at... It, it was over $100 a share in 2011 when iron peaked. Uh-huh. And... It went down to, what, 118 120 I think, is its 52-week low. And it's now trading around $5 a share. Now trading at 5 And so... So the commodity crisis has literally brought down all these iron mining companies. And, again, China has a lot to do with it, and so they pretty much flooded the market with steel, yes. with cheap steel. Yeah. And now China's starting to cut back on their steel production? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're getting a lot of pressure from uh, from the U.S., um, from countries around the world that are basically mm-hmm. sick of China taking their market share and putting their workers out of out of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they have they have issued public statements saying that they're going to remove ten to fifteen percent of their overcapacity um, in the next five years. And and to put that in perspective, right, that fifteen percent of the Chinese steel capacity is the equivalent to the entire steel industry of the u.s exactly right? exactly right yeah exactly right it's about 100 to 150 million tons and the u.s production is about 100 million tons of steel a year wow. so yeah that's the equivalent of taking the u.s market huh. of steel production off of the world market wow wow and so because cliff is is a, a commodity stock the its profits are and kind of share stock performance is very in tune with the rise and fall of, of the price of exactly. iron, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Awesome. So kind of the, the big picture theory is is that now that the price of iron has what we think bottomed, and the cliff stock has bottomed, hopefully, um, because as the price of iron as the price of iron increases, cliff's profits will also increase. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, and so so I mean, this we've had this, we've had this commodity crisis of epic proportion, um, and so many companies have have gone bankrupt, right? Yeah. Um, so why why has Cliff been able to withstand the storm? Why do you think they'll be able to recover? Well, so so Cliffs is has been around for 160 years, uh, producing iron in the Iron Range. And um, the reason that I believe that they've been able to withstand um, these insanely difficult market conditions is their competitive advantage in the U.S. Um, they produce just about 60% of North America's iron ore. Um, so they're by far the largest player in North America in terms of iron ore. And um, they have a, a very big competitive advantage just because they're located right on the Great Lakes. And in order for... Uh, the largest players, uh, the iron producers in Australia or Brazil, to ship iron into into the U.S., um, it would add about fifty bucks a ton uh, to their cost to get it through to the uh, to the Midwest, where the the major steel steel manufacturers are located. Um, so they don't face really any competition from um, the largest international producers of iron ore. Um, so they're insulated from that. And they just have an amazing management team um, that came on uh, in 2014. Um, They got elected at the annual meeting in 2014, and they have been cutting costs um, down to the bone. Um, They're optimizing the the working conditions of the mines. Um, They're getting the most bang for their buck um, every single day. Uh, in the mines, and their management team is is more focused than any management team I've ever seen um, on on getting through 
these tremendous conditions uh, because they know there are uh, clearer skies ahead. Awesome, awesome. And I think you said, um, you've said in the past that one of the reasons why Cliff was able to weather the storm so much mm-hmm. is because uh, they, the management saw this crisis coming and yeah. they locked in uh, pr- contracts with higher, higher prices of iron um, so they're so they're able to kind of weather the storm better, um, and not trade, not trade their iron for market price. Right? Exactly right. Exactly right. So, um, yeah. So so once the uh, the spot price of iron started to uh, to to decline, um, it had fallen so far. But the beauty of Cliff's management team is they saw this coming, like Eric said, and they negotiated all of their supply contracts with their major customers um, at a price that was well above the current spot price. So they basically had a built-in protection um, just in the case of you know an iron ore collapse happened, which it did, um, so that they would still be getting um, a premium uh, for their product. Um, so for example, they the, the last year... Um, two years, they've been selling their iron ore for an average of, of about $80 per ton, uh, whereas the spot price has averaged 45 to $50 a ton. Uh, so they've been getting a significant premium on their product, which has allowed them to survive these, um, mm-hmm. these very difficult conditions. Awesome, awesome. And so um, you also said that they, they, they've been innovating, right? They've, yeah. They've pretty much come up you know, in the midst of this terrible um, economic environment, they've also been innovating and and creating a new type of iron. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so their their business model has been based on the blast furnace, which is used by um, ArcelorMittal and AK Steel. But most of the steel market in the U.S. is actually used by electric arc furnaces, which is a different type of furnace, and it, it correspondingly uses a different type of iron ore. And Cliffs has been innovating, looking for new business, um, and they've been um, looking into converting one of their mines to produce, uh, it's called direct reduced iron, uh, which is used in electric arc furnaces, uh, which would capture a significant uh, percentage of the North American steel business. That would be a huge win for Cliffs. And they've actually just released a, um, their first uh, supply of DRI-ready pellets, um, and they're working with Nucor, which is one of the major steel producers in, in North America, uh, to, to produce that on a commercial scale for them. Um, so they're really looking into expanding uh, their market share and, and diversifying from the, uh, the traditional blast furnace realm. Interesting. Yeah. So, so I mean, the perfect storm pretty much happened, you know, with the commodity crisis, brought Cliffs down, and now it's almost, you say it's the perfect perfect environment to, to rise from, right? Because you have China cutting back, there's less competition, they have this new innovative product. Um, <clears throat> you also said that the government is now the U.S. government now is now implementing tariffs yes. on on imported imported steel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. This is another huge part of the story for Cliffs because Cliffs management team has they've noticed that America is the place to be uh, for their business. They don't want to com- com- compete with the major players in Australia and Brazil. They want to focus solely on the U.S. business and uh, supplying the U.S. steelmakers uh, because the U.S. is 
you know, it's an innovative co country. They're always going to continue growing, producing more cars, building buildings, building more bridges, things like that. There's always going to be an increased demand for steel. Uh, so they really focus on the American market. And America has realized that China is, they're not a market economy. Um, their steel production capacity is not dictated by market forces. It's dictated by the fact that China wants to employ as many people as possible. So the Chinese government has been subsidizing um, a lot of their loss-making steel makers uh, just in the essence of saving jobs. And we mentioned the overcapacity in China earlier. All of that excess China has been going to um, other countries, the U.S. included. And the U.S. government has just now realized that you know this is destroying jobs in the U.S., and they've instituted severe tariffs on Chinese steel, um, over 300% in some cases, on hot-rolled, cold-rolled, and stainless steel products. And, and Brazilian steel, right? And Brazilian steel, and J Jap some Japanese steel um, as well. Um, so they pretty much have a monopoly on the U.S. iron market. Yes, exactly, exactly. And so unless America stops needing steel, mm -hmm. uh, Cliffs is going to be in business. Exactly. Yeah, so, so investing in Cliffs is basically investing in the continued growth of America, which, I mean, America... America! <laughs> America has a, a long history of... And America uh, runs on Dunkins, baby. <laughs> Run Dunkins. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. America has just... They've had a long history of, of innovation and growth, and, you know, wanting to, to make the best American society possible by building infrastructure, building bridges, um, continuing to, uh, to just grow. And Cliffs is by far the largest player in, in American iron. And, um, yeah, as the steel demand grows, Cliffs should grow along with it. Awesome. Well, I mean, if that's, if that's, not, a, if that's not a case to buy Cliffs, I don't really know what is. And, and you said they just recently locked in their new contracts, right? With, yes. With? with with ArcelorMetal, yep. Yeah. Um, so ArcelorMetal is the largest steel maker in the world. And um, Cliff's, one of the overhangs with Cliff's, with with Cliff's share price, um, some analysts were concerned that they weren't going to uh, lock in the supply with ArcelorMetal for the long term because um, their supply contracts were set to expire at the end of this year. Uh, but last week, they actually announced that they extended the supply contract for 10 years. So, wow. So to 2026, and um, that's for a minimum of 7 million tons of iron a year, um, but it's for an average of 10 million tons a year. And that was a huge question mark in, in the eyes of analysts um, because it, it presented a, a significant portion of Cliff's business. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you just do the quick math, 10 million tons of iron a year times 80 bucks average price, that's $800 million a year that they just locked in for the next 10 years. Cheapass. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that just gives them a level of stability that will allow them to, you know, obtain financing, work with bankers, and just have analysts start to support them again because their business is, is stable. Awesome. So right now, Cliff is, is, is what, trading that around? It's, Close it's to five bucks. just under $5. Just under 5 bucks. So where do you think it can go? 
Um, I, I honestly think that the sky's the limit for cliffs. Um, I think that it's only a matter of time before it breaks through 10 and approaches 25 to 30. Um, just because of of their their operational focus, their management team is is unbelievable. They're 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 just they're such an amazing company, right. and um, I really think the sky's the limit. Awesome! So, <laughs> ring the register, baby. Ah, sweet. So, so you heard it first. Uh, by Cliff ticker CLF, and um, hopefully the sky will be the limit. Yeah. And, um, next time we talk it, about it, it'll be trading at thirty-five bucks. And, um, but on. on, on <clears throat> Get, looping back into value investing, one of the essentials of value investing is you invest for the long term. Mm-hmm. And so you've been heavily invested in Cliff for three years, and you plan on holding it you know, for probably another three years. Exactly. So this is not you know, one of those quick, quick trading. We're not really into the quick trading vibes that, that are, are sexy on Wall Street. We're, we're all about finding real sustainable value here uh, at Beach Bums on Wall Street. <clears throat> so, uh, so yeah, so this is the first official episode of uh, Beach Bums on Wall Street. Um, my name, again, is uh, e-, e Money Pasinski. Um, so, so awesome to be here with my boy, uh, D-Money. Um, any, any other last words that you want to share before we sign off? No, that's basically it. But um, our, our founding premise here is, yeah, we consider um, every share of stock that we own a partial ownership stake in the business. So that's how we like to look at, at every investment that we make. It's not just a price ticker on, on a screen. It's actually a, an ownership um, slice of a business. Nice, nice. So, yeah, so go buy a piece of Cliff and, and, uh, and sit back. And you'll and, thank us later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so thanks again for listening and I uh, hope to see you next time and until then uh, keep living the dream yeah so you listen to this podcast probably means that you're serious about investing well you gotta know one secret and that secret is that money never sleeps that means when you're feeling sluggish and you want to call it quits you can miss out on trying to pick the big winner on Wall Street in a potential fat check that could be the difference between you driving a Toyota and a big, fat Rolls Royce. What's the secret of winners? Well, they take Onyx, a special blend of the world's most advanced brain hacking chemicals that give you the longest lasting boost of energy, focus, and attention. So when the guys popping ADD pills are long asleep, you're still going 200 miles per hour, redlining your latest sports car and plowing your latest Italian supermodel. So we're running a special for listeners of this podcast for free shipping and 10% off. Go to campus-elite.com and use the discount code BUMS at checkout for free shipping and 10% off. That's discount code BUMS. Don't just be good. Be elite. Be campus elite.